On the stage, you know they just don't care I can't take the smell, can't take the noise Got no money to move out, I guess I got no choice Rats in the front room, roaches in the back Junkies in the alley with the baseball bat I tried to get away, but I couldn't get far Cause a man with the touch truck repossessed my car Don't push me, cause I'm close to the edge I'm trying not to lose my head <laughs> It's like a jungle sometimes It makes me wonder how I keep from going under Standing on the front stoop Hanging out the window Watching all the cars go by Roaring as the breezes blow A crazy lady living in a bag Eating out of garbage pails Used to be a fag Hey! It's like a jungle sometimes It makes me wonder how I keep from going under Broken glass the hip-hop heads are with us today all episode long if you have something to add it is the people's movement hip-hop this is the people's conversation you can raise your hand wherever you are in the world it's windy as hell <laughs> it is i was like walking over there walking over there wrestling <laughs> head out there um, and you want to join the conversation if I get something wrong because I will just let me know just call in and be like actually hey baby you want to be on the broadcast um, you can just let me know y'all Vanessa my name is Morgan Dixon I'm calling in from Ghana where you at B I'm calling in from Washington D.C. out on these streets uh, tell the people what we're doing here we are inviting all of our sisters, friends, colleagues, allies, church folks to the pavement for a daily walk while we break down the most important stories in Black history. For season six, we're talking about Black neighborhoods, the culture, the houses that house our traditions, like our grandma sitting on the front porch, like all of the good things we need to know from Harlem to the backwoods of South Carolina and everywhere in between. 
I'm walking past these guys playing basketball. It feels like a good soundtrack. If you're not out walking, please, it is never too late to lace up your sneakers, open your front door. Even if you I'm walk walking here to block, give me I'm, some turkey wings, Morgan. <laughs> Just so you know, I'm starving and I'm so hungry and I was going to order something, but it was like 56 minutes for delivery. And then I was like, I just got to walk around the corner to Henry Soul Cafe. It's on U Street, y'all. So shout out to Henry Soul Cafe. And I'm about to give me these baked turkey wings over here and some cabbage and have me some lunch. You know, Vanessa, while ooh, we're on the call, it do. And it they make some delicious. good cabbage in here and they macaroni and cheese is on point and they sweet potatoes are really just pie filling. Look, yes. <laughs> you got mad at me because I didn't put no butter in my cabbage. <laughs> yes, uh, yes. How you oh, how that even possible? If not, I try to put olive oil. You was right. You was right. You was right. Uh, listen, I just ate. I didn't had a hard, grueling day, y'all, at work. Maybe y'all didn't had a hard, grueling day. We could be in the hard, grueling day tribe together because it has been a long day at work. So today, hey, brother. So today, so today, when I start, when I logged on to here, I felt like, I felt the trauma of being like in the seventh grade when you come to class. Maybe your parents been arguing all night. Maybe your uncle who's addicted was knocking on the door at 3 a.m. Whatever it is that was in your life that kept you awake and unprepared and scattered and frazzled, that's the day I had. And I felt very unprepared for class. So I was like, I don't even got my notes. Let me put my notes together. I don't got nothing. But God, I'm going to tell y'all, we're going to tell this story together, y'all. Again, star nine, if you have something to add to the story. Vanessa, hold on, the bread man is... Yes. Hold on, let me just get back. Hold on, I man. just got this part. Let me try it. Hold on one second. So the, the song that opened us up is the one, the only Grandmaster Flash in the Furious Five. The name of the song is The Message. It is essential to today's conversation, that song, that man... In this movement, we call hip hop. In this movement, we love. Um, and so I love that song, Vanessa. It reminds me of my brothers. My brothers used to have these tall speakers in the basement. And when my mom used to try to make them go to church on Sunday morning, they like staged their own revolution by playing Grandmaster Flash. <laughs> like, and you can hear the whole house on Lorraine Avenue was just bumping because we had them big old tall speakers that come up to your shoulders down in the basement. Yes. And it was like their only voice to say, I don't want to go to church, Carol Jean. <laughs> like I'm 17. I'm in these streets. I don't want to go to church. But you know, they couldn't say that. So they used to play that so loud. So it takes me right back. Um, so Vanessa, 1520 Cedric Avenue, the Bronx, New York. What happened there? I just want I, I just want you to tell the people what happened there. Do you know? I barely know. I think it was a I think it was an epic house party. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. Twenty epic house party. Fifteen twenty Cedric Avenue, the Bronx, New York, will forever go down in world history as the birthplace of what we now around the world called hip hop. Okay. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about what you just said. That was, first of all, a song that came out that came out kind of late, but there's lots of stories about the etymology 
of where even the word hip hop came from. Some people say like back in the fifties when like Malcolm X, who we talked about yesterday was wearing zoo suits and all that kind of stuff. Well, he was just born, but you know, the people before him, he was emulating that they would call them hippity hops, like kind of like sock hops, sock hops and hippity hops oh. were like parties with the kids. Right. And that that was yep. like street slang called hippity hops. Um, which makes sense, you know, that sounds like sock hop, like some black people say, right? And then, mm-hmm. um, backing into that even, so you know what happened, okay, that was, that was the 50s, you know what happened in the 60s. So the 60s um, was, in the black community, the era of civil rights victories, right? So it was like the Voting Rights yeah. Act, the Civil Rights Act, and Vanessa, after they done murdered Dr. King, murdered Malcolm X, the Kennedy brothers was murdered. I mean, all the Black Panthers was murdered, um, or so many of the important leaders in the Black Panthers. We were in a state of rage in our communities, and people were exhausted. They thought they had won a victory in in these epic pieces of legislation, but what happened is this huge policy and legislative backlash of all of the things you talked about in yesterday's episode of redlining all these sorts of things so the late late 60s and early 70s were some of the hardest times i'm talking about reconstruction i'm talking about jim crow i'm talking about slavery but late 60s early 70s were some of the hardest times for black communities because of this first of all white backlash to civil rights policies um and this up and, and then like a complacency in the black community that we had gotten segregation ended and we had integrated these places, but we were still an almost permanently second class citizens because of all of these other pieces of legislation. So you can imagine places like Harlem, like Detroit, like Chicago, like Kansas City, like all over um, people were suffering. So that takes you to the Bronx. Yeah. Yeah. The Bronx look like Beirut, Vanessa. This yeah. is also the time where like Nikki Barr, this is right after the big wave of like Italian mobsters and then the black mm-hmm. mobsters had taken over Harlem and it was flooded with I drugs. just watched a Bronx tale, and by the way, literally like one day ago. And I was like, more does Tony Tale kind of look like this girl? Tony Tale, I wanted to tell you. I was like, you kind of look like her now that you yeah, you kind of have your hair like hers. I was like, oh, this is a look. <laughs> I've been trying to look like her for 40 years. She is so beautiful to me. Between her and the, and the girl on the color purple, those are my two style icons that I just really want to yeah. look like. Um, Adam's wife on the color purple, Tashi. Um, so anyway, so all of this is happening and the inner cities are blighted. Um, they are dripped dry of resources and they have, largely, this is something that's not talked about a lot, but they had a lot of kids who were raised, um, particularly in New York city by activists who were overworked and so who were absent in the homes. And so, um, y'all know what it's like. It's crazy because I'm reading a book about this right now, Morgan. It's called Olga Dies Dreaming. It's a fictional book, but it's about this Puerto Rican girl and her brother who grew up in the Bronx, whose parents were a part of the Young Lords, and the parents basically exactly. had to like go off. Yeah, I'm reading this book right now. It's good. No, it's like it's kind of a trope, right? You got everybody got an uncle who was a Black Panther, and you know he didn't pay his yeah. child support because he, yeah. was, you know, he was out there in the streets for the people. So you had a whole generation of that, but you also, particularly in New York, 
had a generation of people who were highly literate, right? So we have yeah. but graduated from HBCUs and teachers' colleges and all of these different places. And they were highly literate. They came from North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, um, and came up to places like D.C., like Philadelphia, like New Jersey, and all the way up to Harlem. And even as north as like New Haven, Connecticut, and all the way up there, and these people were um, upwardly mobile, right? Some of them, some of the parents before of the hip-hop generation and the great grandparents of the hip-hop generation were the people who started the Harlem Renaissance. So I'm just giving you all of this context so that you can pick, close your eyes and picture like a blighted inner city that you know, had had, that was forced to have to integrate with affordable housing. You have black people of all elk of all classes living together in the same building. Um, God, I know this so well. I can picture it because I know the Bronx so well. That's where Keith's parents were from. And they have so many stories. Yeah. And then the ones who are upwardly mobile, like Keith's parents, moved to New Jersey or moved to the suburbs or Yonkers or New Rochelle or yeah. somewhere like that to get their kids out of the Bronx, right? So the Bronx was then left with people who were, didn't have the resources to leave. So they were living beneath the poverty line or recent immigrants. And that's mm -hmm. where our story picks up today, Vanessa. 1520 Cedric Avenue was a home of recently immigrated 12-year-old Clive Campbell. And not to be outstaged by Clive, his socialite mm -hmm. sister, his little sister, Cindy. Okay. So I have a whole theory that Cindy Campbell is the most successful social innovator maybe in American history. If there was no Cindy Campbell, there would be no hip hop. I'm going to tell you why. First of all, their family, they were born, uh, I think Clive was the sixth child of Keith and Nettie Campbell. And they and he was born in Jamaica and he was raised in Jamaica until he was 12 years old. Now, that is important because say what you will will about the origins of hip hop. And my God, everybody has a different origin story about hip hop and where it started. This is the most widely acclaimed. He is known as the father of hip hop. Cedric Avenue is known as the birthplace of hip hop. Um, but people say, did hip hop come from James Brown? Did hip hop come from the last poets? And there is a prevailing theory, actually, that hip hop came from diasporic sounds, right? Rather call and response, yeah. drumming, all this kind of stuff that came directly from Jamaica, right? This kind mm. of mixing and splicing and sampling. You know how Jamaican reggae was sampling and using kind of yeah. amplification of microphones. Now, mm -hmm. Clive Campbell, who later became known as DJ Cool Herc, who we'll talk about in a second, he says that is not his influence. He ex especially is adamant that his influence was American music, not Jamaican music, which I just found to be so interesting because yeah. young 12-year-old, 14-year-old um, immigrants who come to America, all they want is to be considered American. They don't want American. to they bring in their music from Jamaica. You know what I mean? So he has been adamant throughout the years that he was not influenced by a 12 year, as a 12-year-old with the musical sounds of Jamaica. But boy, if you listen to some of them early songs... You're like, oh, yeah. clearly there is like yeah. a Jamaican like influence here. And I never, ever thought about that. I never ever thought of that. So I found that to be interesting. 
So his parents were uh, Jamaican-American. He was born in Jamaica. He came over when he was 12 years old. So here's the story. He started going to a local high school, Vanessa. He was tall and fine. He played basketball. They called him Hercules. <laughs> they was like, because of his stature. Okay. They called him Hercules. And he was, I mean, it was the Bronx. He was an immigrant. You hear this chicken? This is ignorant. <laughs> I don't because I'm, I just walked into the Henry Soul Food and they got some R&B playing trying to get these turkey wings. <laughs> oh, well, there's a turkey over here. So reconcile that with your taste buds. There's a, oh a turkey God. over here yelling. So um, it's hard to eat eggs when you hear chickens roosting in the morning. It's hard. Anyway, um, so... He went to school. They called him Hercules. He played basketball. He was tall. He talks about actually that one time he had gotten into an altercation, in quotes, because I love when people say the word altercation. He had gotten into a fight and that he had got, that he got saved. He was getting jumped and he got saved by the five percenters and that the five percenters, you know how the five percenters are, Vanessa. And this is when they was just getting started in the rocks and stuff that they brought him into their corner and started to really teach him the ways of like being an American, like being a black boy in America and that he was forever grateful for that. And it, it allowed him to assert a sort of identity um, that was bold and innovative and creative. And, and he, he started wanting to be an artist. Okay. So Vanessa, yeah. somebody, I, I think it's Keith Campbell, his dad, is really the hero mm-hmm. of hip hop because somebody got this man a turntable, okay? okay? And not just one turntable, but two. So somebody's working dad, like on the Bronx Hill, where they said the working man is a sucker. Robert <laughs> 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 like, no, he's yeah. not, right? So Keith Campbell wasn't no sucker. He got his son a turntable, okay? So he got his son a turntable or two turntables. Was hip hop the first time that people started using two turntables? Yes, I'm getting to it. Yes, that was vital. Oh, okay, okay. That was vital. Okay. So he yeah. he bought his first record, Vanessa, and I want to play the first record Keith Campbell, I mean, not Keith Campbell, Clive Campbell ever bought. So go ahead and play that okay. song that we got queued up. Okay, spoiler alert, it's James Brown. I'm ready to get go ahead and play that James Brown. We- <laughs> I want to get into it, man, you know, like a, like a sex machine, man, moving, doing it, you know, can I count it off? One, two, three, four. Get up, get on up, get on up, get on up, stay on the scene, get on up, like a sex machine, get on up, get up, get on up, get up, get on up, stay on the scene, get on up, like a sex machine, get on up. Machine. Wait a minute, shake your arm, then use your farm. Stay on the scene, I like a sex machine. You got to have the feeling. Hey! Shoot your bone. Get it together. Thank you, DJ. Thank you, DJ. Right on, right on. <laughs> right. So, first of all, Vanessa, when you were in yeah. high school, you ain't supposed to have sex machine. You're not supposed to have an album. <laughs> So he was like the only one who had this album, right? And he was playing mm-hmm. it so loud and it was so raunchy. It was back in the day, like NWA. I mean, it was like really right. raunchy, the sex machine. It had this like Rudy, like shake, shake your hips kind of, um, you know, like back it up kind of beat. 
So he started playing this music, but he was highly intelligent and deeply philosophical as a member of the five percenters, right? And one of the things that he did is he recognized that people really jumped up almost with like a spirit of, I can't sit down when James Brown would say, give the drummer some and the drum break beat would come on, right? So there would be a break for the drummer to get a drummer some. So what he thought is why can't all of life be a breakbeat? Be a breakbeat. I love that. A whole philosophy. That's a whole philosophy for you out there. Your whole life can be a breakbeat. You don't got to listen to the intro and the outro. Your whole life can be a breakbeat. So what he started doing was something that he coined a technique called the merry-go-round, where he would have two different turntables, and he would start it at the breakbeat, and then he would, when the breakbeat ended, he would stop one record and start the other record on the same beat of the breakbeat so that it was just a continuous loop and he would just go back and forth so that the crowd was like in a fury. They were just like, couldn't, it was like hurting them because see, James Brown understood the science of rhythm. James Brown was yes. like, you can't give them too much. You got to give them a little yes. bit of circle. A little you gotta bit. Give them a little That's bit right. That's right. No. DJ Cool Herc said, I'm going to give it all to him and it's going to change the world. Okay. So, he was doing this, and his sister Cindy was like, yo, I need some new clothes for school. <laughs> I can yes, not. this is where the genius Cindy comes said, in. Yes. yes. Cindy said, I need some new clothes for school. I kid you not, this is a real story. And his little sister Cindy said, bet, I'm about to have not a rent party, but a school clothes party, an epic house party, and, no, and people sleeping on my big brother, Herc. I'm about to have a debut for Herc with this epic blowout party in the free community mm-hmm. room in our affordable mm-hmm. housing building at 1520 Cedric Avenue. Yeah. So they made some flyers. There's still some flyers who got founded of Cindy's flyers for her house party. They posted it up. Everybody came. It's right off the main thoroughfare in, in the Bronx. If you've ever been there on Cedric Avenue, it's right on the main thoroughfare, right on that first floor, the community room. He set his stuff up, Vanessa. And it went down as the most epic. You can't sit down. Your heart is hurting. You sweaty. Your your perm is sweated out. Like literally your press is sweated out. Literally the most epic house party ever. So from there, DJ Cool Herc was a phenomenon. I mean, he became Mm -hmm. Grandmaster Flash said he was my personal hero. DJ Cool Herc. He was my personal hero. Do not let me get off this call without telling you what happened to her. Um, he's still with yeah. us today, but what happened to him later in life. But so what happened is he started doing that. And then all of these other brilliant innovations happened. Actually, Grandmaster Flash, who we heard the message, dun, 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 dun. that's Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five. He became the next big thing in hip hop DJs at the time. Um, and one of the things that he mastered because he, I mean, he really looked up to Hurt. One of the things he mastered was he was, he, I heard Quest Love talking about this on Drunk History. It was amazing. Essentially, he went to all of like the record um, technology, like um, producers and that sort of thing. And he was like, is there a way I can split the sound so I can hear the sound before the audience hears the sound so I can cue it up so that the beat drops right at the same beat so there's no hiccup? And they was like, no, it can't be done. Do you know this man, Grandmaster Flash, technology innovator? We need to talk about him in Black History Month with innovators. 
too. Like Garrett, uh, yes. Morgan invented the, Garrett Morgan invented the traffic light and Grandmaster Flash split the cords of the turntable Woo! so he could hear the beat before it dropped. Right? And he split That's a huge deal. with a blade. It's amazing. It's because the party won't stop. That's what I'm saying. If you figure out yes. the party won't stop, then you are, you can, you control the people. That's what I'm saying. So he yes. split the cord somehow, rewired some stuff. He was the only one in New York City who could hear the beat before. So he was flawless at the transitions. And then there was other DJs who did other stuff with scratching, all sorts of stuff. So DJing was born, but that's not hip hop. DJing alone is not hip hop. And one of the things that you heard on that James Brown track when it came was he was directing this is a good story, Morgan. You're breaking it all the way down. I like this. <laughs> so he was that James Brown was telling the people what like in the cells. Well, I don't know that song. <laughs> I was like, we can have some fun if uh, we could play it right there. But that's when we stopped it. Actually, he was starting to tell people how to dance. Right. Well, we know that's as ancient as like somebody's foremother and ancestor <laughs> you know the grills is telling you how to dance in a circle right. like that ain't no invented but how you do it and how you use street vernacular and how you make it yeah. rhyme and how you come and he was cute do you understand what I mean and he was popular yeah. and the way he was describing to people how to break it down during the beat right and and so what happened yeah. is he started having like fangirls and fanboys who was coming around like we love her we love cool Hark, right and uh-huh. every break, they was waiting for the break beat, and it was an extended break beat, and they started making routines during the break beat. And he was like, everybody right. clap your hands. Yeah. You got it. You know, he was just like, right? Yeah. And so, yes. So people, like, he had the audience clapping, he had the circle, and then the break boys or the break girls or b-boys and b-girls would come in the middle of the circle and have a routine, right? Well, if one week... The next week, I'm going to learn how to pop when I isolate it more. And then the next week, I'm going to pop while I'm breaking it down, and then I'm going to spin on my legs. And so it just was a ratcheting up, right, of technicality and almost um, like aerobic-like movements, right? And so break dancing from the break boys and break girls during the break beat that came from James Brown saying, get a drum of some, (laughs) and DJ Kulhark looping together through his merry-go-round this extended oh, break beat became the second part of hip-hop break dancing right we already know that graffiti had been an art form particularly in blighted communities when people like bet government you ain't gonna paint our fences bet government we get the old trains in the subway system but it was a beautification project okay it was beautiful And during this time, street gangs were rampant. So tagging didn't just become, you know, the vice lords or whatever in Chicago or whatever. They made beautiful marks that represented their street gang. So graffiti became a part of this kind of hip hop culture as well. But people say that's not really the third part of hip hop. That really Uh is um, beatboxing. And I ain't trying to offend nobody in the YouTube comments. So just beatboxing and graffiti, okay? And then the last part, which we know, actually, you know, people battle all the time, like, is rap and hip hop the same thing? Right. And my answer is, no, it ain't the same thing. Of course, it ain't the same thing. Rap is a part of hip hop, right? Rap mm-hmm. is just what the MC over the breakbeat that the DJ's playing while the B-boys and B-girls are dancing and while artists around yes. the community are making our community better, right? 
But yep. the rappers are the easiest to amplify globally and the most commercial. So they have been equivocated. Rap music yeah. has been equivocated with the hip hop culture. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, yeah. So MCs, I found this to be interesting. So, you know, MC is actual letters, the letter M like in Morgan and C as in cat. And it's for master of ceremony. And um, oftentimes the master of ceremony, like in the sixties, like even on, you remember on the five heartbeats when that guy was introducing, you played the five heartbeats yes. yesterday. Yeah. I was introducing yeah. people. He was like, I can't tell you what's going to happen, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. sorry, that was an ignorant mm-hmm. voice, but that's how he was talking. <laughs> right. But the MCs started trying to outdo each other, the masters of ceremony in these, like even Chitlin circuits, in Chitlin circuits. And they became, um, and it became an art form on how to announce people. And so mm-hmm. MCing was really a continuation of that. It really was. Of that. And then people mm-hmm. say, yeah, people say that it came from a lot of different syncopations um, throughout the diaspora, um, particularly in Jamaica, by the way. Um, but they said also that Muhammad Muhammad Ali had made like a, a spoken word album. <laughs> I had never even heard of this, but I read this in my research. He had done a spoken word album and that it was really, really, really popular at the time. And that that hit the way, you know, he was an icon, the way he spoke really influenced the youth. And then of course the black arts movement, right? You look at how Sonia Sanchez, we've had the honor, the great honor of talking to her, how she just talked yeah. regularly walking down the street. It sounds like she an MC. You know what I mean? She's yeah. like, young yep. people, the way that we roll, we both want to be like, okay. Yeah. Sonia Sanchez, she be, you know, she be breaking it down. But all also the last poets and Gil Scott Heron, right? You know, the mm-hmm. revolution will not be televised, right? So all of that was the ecosystem that created who we know of now as MCs, the greatest MCs out there. So before we do anything else, dead or alive, top five MCs. Call in um, star nine. I got to take it. I got to take it from the star okay. nine people. Okay. Before you even say it, Vanessa. Dead or alive, top five, five MCs, MCs of all time. I want to hear it, y'all. I want to hear it. Don't play with me and don't put nobody raggedy up in here. But you can't yeah. have your own opinion because I am creating <laughs> a <special> diversity. <laughs> and if anybody say Eminem, they get hung up on. <laughs> all right. No, you can say Eminem. Eminem actually is awesome. You're just going to have to make a strong case. Mm-hmm. So let us know when we got anybody on the line. And before I hear yours, Vanessa, I want to mm-hmm. hear the role that hip hop played in your life. What role did hip hop play in your life? Mm, it's so funny. When you, I just saw your text message about having a rap ready. And I was like, shoot, I ain't got no appropriate raps for this conversation because you don't need no appropriate raps. I'm good. But in my, first of all, hip hop was the soundtrack to my life growing up in my youth. It was the like, permission that I needed I feel like to like break away from like what my family was saying to do and to like be divergent like I felt like I could be divergent because hip-hop was divergent I can recall sitting in third grade Zion Christian school and writing all the lyrics to the new um E40 and the Click had like put out an album it was like 1991 like I wrote down all the lyrics like to all the things that needed, like <laughs> the, the lyrics around and the click, yes. And we would uh, pass it around. I know, sorry, D-Shot, Be Legit. Like, that was my crew back then. Like, that was what I was listening to. 
Um, and we would, but we would pass those notes around like every single day. And like the, one of the most important things, like for me, like when I would get up for school is to be like, like what lyrics was I going to get from somebody else who had gotten the tape? We would get all of our tapes from this little store next to Village Mart downtown in the Valley, um, down in the Valley in Seattle. And we'd go to Village Mart, we'd get all the tapes, we'd take the tapes out. Then we write down all the lyrics. Like it played such a huge role. And then like when Salt and Pepper came out, like you couldn't tell me nothing. I was like, well, we got female MCs. I had every single hairstyle they ever had. I had every single outfit they ever had. Like it really was like what I most think about like growing up, I most think about like hip hop and especially West Coast hip hop almost more than I even think about like 90s R&B. I know people are like deep into R&B, but like I think about like DJ Quick and like MCA. That is amazing. Like that, <laughs> yeah. But what do you think it what is happened? about what was happening? What do you think? It, I'll tell you in a second, but what do you think it is about what was happening in the 70s in this immigrant family's home with this guy who had incredible confidence who started this like, you know, block level cultural movement that started to amplify all over New York City. How did just in 10 years, did it get to you? How well, did it first of all, all the way across the country in Seattle? Do you because think? truth travels, Morgan, because truth to speaking Ooh. truth to power travels. And for me, who had a mom who was on drugs, who had a family that was struggling out in the streets, like it was like somebody was articulating for me, like, my pain, but also my possibility. And I heard it all in these like rambunctious and bold and audacious like raps who were like, I'm gutter and I'm this and I'm that. But also like I could dream, like I could get me a Mercedes and a cell phone and a, like those things to me were like, yeah, like the material circumstances of my life can be transcended. And that truth resonated deep in the soul of people who were deep into a drug war, who were deep into poverty, who were deep um, disconnected from and disenfranchised from the rest of the world. Like the rap music was for the music for the disenfranchised. Stop right there. I'm going to ask the producer right now. Go ahead and play that, Jada. Just 10 seconds, because what you just said, the first line of Jada Kiss is all of that. Play that little Jada Kiss real quick. He's from New York, East Coast rap. This is history, birthplace of hip hop. God did album is killer for all of you guys who are into like new hip hop. It is literally a gospel rap album with cuss words. I know that sounds crazy, but it is like a God did album. And Jadakiss got one of the best songs on there and it's all about the neighborhood. And I wanted to play it actually as part of the series, but it's so much cuss words that I was just like, well, listen to what I just played. Excuse me, mama. But he said F the frail shit. That's the first word out of his mouth. And then the song is we gonna make it. And I'm just saying that warrior mentality, you said truth travels, which almost blew my wig back. Truth does travel and, and F the frail shit. Because sometimes, Vanessa, we, we got to mm-hmm. know we going to make it. You're just going to know we going to make it. You know, so anyway. We're going to make it. Yeah. So thank you for that. Thank you for that. I did not. Uh, Hip hop was really important to me. My brother is a DJ right now in Houston. Shout out to DJ Finesse. Hip hop was crucial to me 
And it's interesting because we were never allowed to listen to it. So I don't know how it was crucial to me, but it was. And it was really pivotal to us. And then when I went to college, it just became a part of my identity. You know, I couldn't stop listening to most Devin Talib Kali. I couldn't stop. I couldn't stop listening to it. So we got some callers on the line. Let's hear their, their top five that are alive. We don't got no callers. Oh, all the saints is logged in today. Got crickets on the line. <laughs> Vanessa, your top five. Hello. And hello, um, Queen Latifah. Hello, 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 hello. Hello, MC Light. Yes, number one. Oh, she ready? MC Light. Okay. MC Light. All right. Uh, Love Bug Starsky. Love Bug Starsky. Can you can you hear me, Vanessa? <laughs> I can hear you. I don't know who Love Bug Starsky <laughs> is, but we about we all writing it down so we can go listen. Google it. Google oh, it. Oh, yeah. Oh, Oh yeah, okay. we have to. I, this is a hip hop Where you where? See, I'm, I, see, I was born, see, I was born in South Carolina, raised in Harlem, and my son actually his first babysitter was in that building on set with Kavanaugh. See, oh, Do you see, okay, you was at the Roxanne Shante concert. You was at the Roxanne Shante concert. Now, first every concert, you know, no, you had one of them with their hair curls. Yeah, well, I had those yeah. earrings, but you know what? Um, I was in business back in the 80s with um, uh, Soul Sonic Bigs from the Soul Sonic Force. Oh, my Mr. God. Yeah. You oh, got yeah. a hip-hop historian on the program. History. <laughs> this is a real history. So get down. Top five, top five dead or alive. MC Light. Who was your second one? Love Bug Starsky. Love Bug Starsky. We got it. Yeah. His mom did my hair and my mom's hair. So, yeah. Shout out. To love <laughs> That's my Starsky. favorite. Now, now, DJ Hollywood. I don't know if you guys, are, he's an East Coaster, but you might not know who he is either, but he gets the party no, but I believe all you. the time. <laughs> all right. I'm going to go on mute again. Oh, that's it? That you got three? Okay, because you are um, disruptive. You're like, I got my top three dead alive. I love this one. What's your name, sis? My name is Deborah. Actually, my sister invited me to this just yesterday. My sister's in Georgia. Oh, I'm in New York. Oh, yeah. Oh, this, this is, is your first Black History Boot Camp Yes, yes. Shout out to my sister. Is she brave Tony enough? In Georgia. Yes. Yes, yes. Shout out. Mm. Listen, shout out to the part of hip hop culture. We know this sister came straight from the streets of Harlem and I appreciate the call. I appreciate the history. If you have any history, any memories, you are welcome to call. Press star nine star nine. But that's what you got with your favorite, favorite, your very favorite verse from any hip hop song. Break it down for the people. Mm. I feel ice in the wintertime. I feel fire in hell. I am a hustler, baby. I know the rest of it right this second. But it's a Jay-Z lyric. Because you're eating them turkey wings. <laughs> 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 oh, okay, I'm having a black experience. I'm sitting out on the natural <laughs> corner of a TJU if anybody want to walk by. I'd have walked down here. I'd have got me some turkey wings. I'm enjoying this conversation so much. Um, no. <laughs> oh, God. Well, my favorite one, as you know, Vanessa and I met and bonded over everything Tupac uh, in Los Tupac's fame, right with all death row records was trying to murder people. I mean, it was crazy. <laughs> she was at UCLA. I was at USC. Um, so talk about hip-hop history, Vanessa, but um, Only God Can Judge Me is my favorite Tupac yes. song. Am I 
favorite part is when the um when he be in the hospital and be like burr, 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 and it goes fly, mm-hmm. go fly loud. I hear the doctor standing over me saying I could make it got a volley to a bullet hole yes. and make it fly. Can't breathe, paranoid from the weed. Oh my god, the whole thing. Yes. And then he goes, uh, what's the other part? Uh, I, when he says, I, uh, shoot, I'd rather die like a man than live like a coward. There's a he- ghetto up in heaven and it's ours. Yeah. We dream in a paranoid state and our fate is a lifetime of hate. Dear mama, can you save me? And if peace because the streets got our babies, we got to eat. No more hesitation. Each and every black male oh. captain. Somebody suicidal run around. Yeah, Mr. Police. I'm running. <laughs> oh I like God. it. Oh. But also, most death is my favorite. So my top five dead are alive. Tupac, most death. Bro, mm-hmm. as a lyricist, common. Mm-hmm. As a lyricist, Nas. Um, and my five is hard. Because my five is, ooh, it's hard. I think it's cheesy. Yeah. I think it's Jay-Z. Yeah. Yeah. That's my top five dead or alive. If you disagree, call in. So let me wrap up this story, Vanessa. Um, we know what hip-hop became. It became Wait, do you want to take another global... caller, Morgan? Do you want to take... Sure, we sure, have sure. Let's go. People. Let's yeah, go, let's take go. one or two more just because I know they're on the line. We'll take, we'll take two more. People are laughing at me out of breath. We all roll. I'm trying to wrap <laughs> and run. <sighs> it's nice to get Hello? text messages while we're on the call. Hello, sis. Hi, but I don't think I have a top five. I have a couple. You got a top three? <laughs> but tell okay, us your name and where you're calling, where you're walking at. Um, this is Shanae. I am in Florida. <laughs> Ooh, Florida, yeah. hotbed, hotbed of social activism. Let's go. So, um, DMX, Batman Scoop, and Kendrick. Oh, I forgot Kendrick. You're right. You're right, Kendrick. Morgan, I know. I love Kendrick. You're right. You're right. You're right. Mm-hmm. You're right. Who was your first one? No, I didn't hear your first one. Jeezy. 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 Oh, Jeezy. I was like, is he? No, no, not Jeezy. Not Jeezy. Who I could, but she said Jeezy, no. as in Kanye. Yeezy. Right? Ye- okay, so what? No, no. Jeezy or Yeezy. <laughs> With the J, J. Oh, J, Jeezy, yes, yes. Jeezy, that's better. Me. My mama need a me. Yes, I love Jeezy too. Mm-hmm. I was so <laughs> sad when he married that girl, even though they're cute. I thought he was gonna marry me, but um, <laughs> no. Thank I you thought you said that. Yeezy, and I was like, you gonna have to account for what's happening in the news right now with your boy, mm-hmm. <laughs> with your boy. <laughs> but we ain't even gonna put no airspace on this birth of hip hop on that. We're not. But uh. So that, those are great choices. And Kendrick is the rebirth. He really is. He's going back to the beginning. One of the things that uh, we didn't talk about is the influence of jazz and disco music on hip hop. Um, mm-hmm. Part of why, part of why um, DJing, you asked me why DJing had become a thing is because disco DJs were so big. And so, and they were making so much money, particularly like in the village. And so young boys, just like young boys now want to be rappers, young boys wanted to be disco DJs back then. So that's why he had the um, turntable, but then he just innovated with it. Mm. And one of the things that was happening is those disco crowds would not allow B-boys and and B-girls in their clubs because they were like street kids and they was like stick up kids and they was like, nope, you can't come. 
And so he had a captive audience of people who needed a place to go. And so he would rent out schools and churches and and community centers and parks. And I said it in the email, but you could plug the turntable into the post. And that was really, really important, like infrastructure piece to hip hop, because there could be block parties everywhere. You don't want your own. Wow. Um, I love that. And then in 1973, the house party happened, but in 1977, who was on the phone probably remember this, in 1977, there was the New York blackout where there was just a blackout. The electricity grids went out in New York City, Vanessa. Let's just say on the other side of that blackout, everybody had turntables. <laughs> everybody had turntables. And historians say that the looting, oh the looting God, that absolutely. happened in that 1977 Blackout scaled the hip hop movement, scaled it all across New York City and made everybody a DJ. So, um, okay, I'm gonna tell you this why that's important. That means people had a plan, Morgan. That means that there was people who was already <laughs> meditating on if ever I get an opportunity, just 15 minutes to get one thing that's gonna change my life, I'm gonna give me some turntable. table. And when the opportunity is right, they was like, they I'm not trying to run over there. Down. Yeah, they wasn't like, I'm not trying to get no toasters. I'm trying to be over here doing this. I'm not, I'm going straight. Oh, need no TV. That's specificity. Like that is, is, the moment has met opportunity. And I don't know why we are not advocating yes. for looting. But also to me, that sounds like some people had a vision board and a journal. And it was like, <laughs> if ever I could get me some turntables and the lights went out. And when the lights came on, God has supplied their needs. That's what it sounds like. It also, me, let, it also lets you know that it ain't nothing but a few hundred dollars between innovation and yes. genius. You know what I mean? Genius and innovation. All people need sometimes are the resources and tools that they already ready with the genius. So, yeah. Paula, we got another call. Yes, I think we do. Hello. Hello, hello. You might be on mute just if you're talking. Okay, it's a live show, y'all. We walk and we listen and we pay. Hello. Hey, how you doing, sister? What's your name? Where you at? Hi, Felicia. I'm in Evanston, and I'm an educator and room, so I have to go. I have to go. I can't stay oh, go, on the go, line. Go. Oh, no, please I'm go. Sorry, I didn't hear you, but I trust yeah. you got to go. Go, go, go. Yes, M- MC Light. I love you all. MC Light. I love MC Light. And uh, uh, that's it. Yeah, MC Light. That's my girl. <laughs> I love it. Still go get your vote in. Thank you so much. Enjoy your day. All right. You too. Enjoy your day. Bye. So Vanessa, let's Yeah. I wanna I wanna just make space if I got anything wrong about the story. Hip hop is a people's story. And call in and correct the record. One hundred percent we'll take one more call. Let me just finish up the story. If you have any corrections around hip hop, if you are doing your top five, you can just drop off the line because we won't take any more of those. But if there are any corrections or any shout outs or anything you want to add to the story, you can call in. They'll be the last caller. So Vanessa, we know that hip hop became a real political voice um, early on with groups like Public Enemy. Um, and even Spike Lee was really important to hip hop when he used Public Enemy in the soundtrack of Do the Right Thing. It was really um, putting them on the global stage, um, particularly with their radical lyrics, that they became the evolution of people like Malcolm X. Um, and that we know from B-Boys and B-Girls in Harlem that um, 
it, it became youth. But then we also know it became, there was like the, this golden age of hip hop where it became storytelling talked about before where it became the actual voice the actual narrative of what was happening in american inner cities and that's where people like nas becomes really important jay-z becomes really important when stretching all the way across to the west coast and what was then deemed as gangster rap because gangs were prevalent everywhere it's just that the people who were educated could buy their kids termed of hip-hop were was more kind of conscious rap because they had two parents. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. They wasn't in the gangs. They were, I mean, it's like Keith and Allen. You know, my ex-husband and Allen, they was like at them parties. They had two parents who was teachers. They was not gangsters. So, yeah, of course it was conscious rap. But as soon as we was like, bet, we have a microphone and a voice. And the people who were really living the hard knocks life could start yeah. reporters, street reporters on what was happening in some of the best songs. Uh, Ooh, that reminds me of my favorite Tupac show, Morgan, uh, Death Around the Corner. What is it? I think Death Around the yes. Corner. Gotta say how will I survive in the city where the skinny niggas die if they bury me, bury me as a G. No need to worry. I suffer retaliation in a hurry. Hey. I can Death Around the Corner. Trying to keep it together. Yes. No, I love it. You know, yes. <laughs> I love you that. You better rap, girl. You better mm. rap. And then it became um, what is known. By the golden age of hip hop. And this is where, like, Tribe Called Quest, this is where, like, uh, Wu Tang, Outcast. No, but that's Southern. Yeah. That's Southern. But Wu Tang was kind of gangster, and there was, like, rival gangs. And then that's when the era of uh, battle rap started happening between, like, The Bridges Over, The Bridges Over, or South Bronx, yeah. South South Bronx, or, like, um, Brooklyn, zuh, shame on you when you step to, to the old dirty bastard, like yeah. all these kind of like battle raps um, between the different boroughs. And then those battle raps mixed with the gangster rap of NWA in the West Coast. And then the East versus West feud happened. And we all know how that ended because hip hop became a billion dollar industry. And when there is a billion dollar industry, with young men and women who many of them are broken by society, they're mm-hmm. going to get exploited and say what you will about big, um, um, Biggie and Tupac. They were exploited by management industry, all media, all if you yeah. this East coast, West coast bull, and they both lost their lives um, over it. And then the next real era of hip hop is when, AT Aliens, um, Outkast, all those folks came out. And then um, Hip Hop Today um, evolved to all kinds of stuff where there's house that's mixed with hip hop, there's Afrobeat that's mixed with hip hop. It's all over the world, y'all. It is the most significant cultural movement of our lifetime. It is as persuasive and as influential as any of the major religions. And to think that Black people started this and that black people in assisted living houses on Cedric Avenue started this, that immigrant families started this, is downright emotional. And it makes me believe that anything is possible. Can they tell us that we can't do? 
at Girl Track. When you were saying that, Morgan, I was like, shoot, more, that's what people about to say about Girl Track. Like a significant yes. cultural movement, as significant as any religion, where we teach women about healing and we proliferate our communities with a new ideology around how to care for ourselves. I think that and that's And we what give we're power doing. to the people to do it themselves. Yes. And we yes. are led by our members. We are led by the people in the streets who are telling us what to do and who are every day, like that sister invited her sister on the phone. And with that, y'all, tell somebody to join us for these walks. This is catalytic. This is a new social movement. It just is, y'all. So if I forgot anything, caller, do we have a caller? If not, we're going to wrap it up. I think we have one last caller. Oh, while she coming on, DJ Herc, Vanessa. Yes. Oh, yes. First of all, got addicted to, to crack cocaine, which he's very Aww. open about. And he was like, he lost his father and it was so hard on him that he started using drugs. He was in such deep grief that he started using drugs. He cites it. And then after he, um, he got clean from crack cocaine, um, all these hip hop historians started reaching out to him because he was the father of hip hop. And they were like, what, 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 what you doing? What you doing? So then he got started getting featured in movies. Like he was in either Beat Street or one of the movies back in the day. Um, and he played himself as the, as the founder of hip hop. And then, Vanessa, this is where it has to do with Girl Trek. He got really gravely ill. I mean, gravely ill. And he went to Barnabas Hospital. I think it was Barnabas Hospital or one of them hospitals. Let me not quote one of them hospitals in New York. And got the first treatment, Vanessa. And then they would uh -huh. not give him the second the treatment because he could not pay his medical bills. Oh, my God. DJ Kulherk. And so he had to, before GoFundMe, he had to have a campaign, this legendary man, to raise money to get his second surgery. I mean, to get mm. his second surgery to be able to survive the debilitating ad. So he, he got the second surgery, Vanessa. Thank God he recovered. And he actually made his first album it's like 2014 or something he made his first album and now he really is sitting in the canons of history as like as you know as a really significant part of hip-hop history he was always an artist he was never a celebrity and that that's yeah. actually for us to keep in mind so shout out out to you dj cool herc and to your sister cindy and to your whole family hope you hear this yeah. caller yes hello Yes, yes, Hello. yes. Round us out. What did we forget? Yes. Hi, y'all. Oh, my gosh. I'm so excited. I am so <laughs> nervous. This was definitely the podcast for me today. Oh, <laughs> Tell us your name. Tell us your name and where you're walking at. My name is Kendra Hannah, and I am in Virginia Beach, Virginia, but I grew Shout up out to in Pharrell and, 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 and all the people in Virginia Beach. That's right. I grew up in Moorhaven Project on 143rd Street. And um, yo, I, yo, through this whole podcast, I was like, okay, so let me start with this. Grandmaster Flash used to take, my sister dated him, and my mother had a jukebox. Oh, and hey. he would take the albums out of the jukebox and go and, you know, scratch with them. That's where he was first starting out because they were teenagers at that time. Kendra, get out of here. Yes. <laughs> I kid you not. I kid you not. We, I kid you not. It was before, this was before we moved into that project. This is where we lived at before we moved into that project, but it was still in the city. Okay. So the, um, the community rooms that we, that you talked about, we called them the carriage rooms and they was um, multi-purpose rooms and we had parties in there. We did everything in there. Okay. 
so we had this big square in our project and, and that's what we called it the square and that's where the djs would come on the weekends the music would be loud until two in the morning um everybody from around the city if you heard it was a jam going on in Marhaven or in Millbrook, everybody was there. So we was all there. We were all dancing. And um, we had to have the fresh clothes. We had to have the Nike Cortez, the blue and white Nike Cortez, the Lee jeans. And, yes. Um, <laughs> You're so, giving me so much life. Keep going. So we're editing out everything I said. This is the episode. So y'all good. talked about... Y'all talked about the blackout. I got to tell you about the blackout, y'all, because my older brother, I don't know how he did it, y'all, but he came home with a chest of drawers. Well, I'm like seven years old. He came home with this big old chest of drawers, and it was white, and it was pretty for a little girl. He gave that thing to He was manifesting some storage for his little sister, all right? He was like, we need some storage and organization up in here. I was like, where you get this from? But okay, I'll take it, because it's pretty. Um. And my favorite song during that time was um, McFadden and Whitehead, Ain't No Stopping Us Now. It's not a hip-hop song, but it, yes. was, it was on then. And um, one of my favorite songs also is Cinderella by Dana Dane. My boyfriend used to always sing that song. He always sing that song. So that was one of my favorites. So oh my god so much i'm like coming out of my skin right now because y'all taking me back to when i was in middle school and it was going down because it was a whole crew of us it was about 20 of us girls just hanging out and doing our thing at that time that is so, so amazing y'all. what a wonderful way to end Hip-hop is the people's hip-hop. Most Steph said, what's happening with hip-hop? What's happening with you? We are hip-hop. Whatever happening with you is what's happening with hip-hop. So this is an example of that. The enthusiasm that we just felt on this call is exactly what was happening in 1973. And I would argue it's what's happening in every party, everywhere, all over the world. And it's why we are so powerful as a movement, as a hip-hop movement. So thank you so much. We are going to close out with the most ratchet song I could think of. Because... <laughs> Actually, I have a story about it, but it's okay. Just know MOP was a formative part of my life, and we're going to end with the song Annie Up. Christians, just log off. Just get off the phone. (laughs) Get off the phone, mama. Get off the phone. All right, just play the first minute because you can't take the rest. Talk to you all later. Bye. Bye. You know what I mean? Straight ready to go down. Funk master, flex, tunnel, stale. Shout to Big Cat, Cypher Sounds. MOP, Andy up in the fucking background. For the real niggas, you know what I mean? Shout to Brooklyn, Queens, Long Island, Staten Island, Uptown, Harlem, where the BX. All my real niggas with the 20 inches outside, you know what I mean? Fake niggas, get the fuck out and hold on to your shit, you know what I mean? Funk flex, one time for your motherfucking mind. One.
Bye, y'all. Talk to you later. Bye.